We are creating a platform for those who are curious, one that tells the story from the artist's perspective. Moments in time captured from the innovators who are reshaping dance, music, theater, and the visual arts. This is the Working Artist Project. I, f- I feel like I want to have that mentality, man, where it's just like keeping your eye on that prize and it's just like you're not letting up. To me, that's trying. I don't want victory. I want that shit to continue, just keep going up and up. You know what I'm saying? Like, I don't want to win champion, just one championship. I want all of them forever. Today on the Working Artist Project, I have the one and only Corey Fonville. Corey is a drummer, an educator, and all-around amazing human being. He's played with Jackie Terrison, Christian Scott, and Nicholas Payton, just to name a few. Corey and I got into a lot of great topics. We talked about the state of jazz in America. We talked about what it's like to be a black man in America, the trials that you go through with that. We also spoke about how to build your career. He broke it down like many of my other guests haven't up until this point. The material that we cover today is definitely valuable for those of you who are entrepreneurs and also those of you who are musicians. So I know you're going to like this episode, so sit back, relax, and enjoy the show. I want to welcome the one and only Corey Fonville to the Working Artist Project. What's up? What's up? Yeah, man. So I I like to start out uh, the podcast just by getting a, you know, getting the story of Corey. You know what I mean? For the people who don't know you, let them know where you're from, where you're going, and and all of that. Well, um, born and raised in a city called uh, Virginia Beach, um, Virginia. Um, basically the southeast part of the state of Virginia. Um, it's basically, my parents aren't, weren't in the military or currently aren't, but it's a big military city. Um, so it's, you know, a lot of transient folks in and out, you know, every couple of years, man. So, um, you know, working class city, man, you know, not a huge music hub at all. You know? So, you know, I had to go out here and try to figure it out. Thankfully, um, you know, my dad is into music um he's not a musician he's a fireman but uh he loves jazz and just anything creative man and he always had an eclectic year and so you know before i was born you know he was already sort of checking out a lot of the fusion stuff and just jazz man cool music and then once i came around man and you know i was basically a sponge and just soaking it all up yeah man that's that's i noticed that you say you started playing drums when you were about two years old yeah do you remember like the first time you saw drums or what inspired you to want to to play? Um, I mean, I think it was a combination between, you know, uh, church early on when I was, you know, we would go to church as a kid and I would see the drums on stage and, you know, I'd just sit there and like, just be staring at him the entire time. The cat on drums and, um, you know, also just being at home, man, I don't know, um, music would come on and then, you know, the whole pots and pans deal. Mm-hmm. Um, so I remember, I do honestly remember the first day I received, uh, a little junior drum set. It was for Christmas when I was, uh, two years old in a couple months. And, um, yeah, I remember that day, man, coming down and like my, my parents surprised me with this little kit, man. And from then on, I was rocking, you know, couldn't stop, you know, every day I would just play, you know, if music came on. You better believe it. I was, I was trying to play along to it. If MTV was on or whatever, I was trying to keep up uh yeah i mean it was just one of those things where um you know i i just loved music 
And, you know, it was always a big part of my life um, from the early stages that I was able to comprehend what was happening. That's dope, man. I man, I, I got a little nephew. I bought him a drum set around the same age, man. He never okay. touched it. He never touched it, man. Broke my heart, bro. <laughs> That's funny. <laughs> but but you know, you can't really it's like either a cat really wants to do something or they don't, and obviously you did. Yeah, it's natural, man. You know, you just sort of you know, you graduate you just gravitate towards it. And you know, it always I mean the best way I can describe it is it's like it found me. Like I didn't go seeking it. It it just sort of happened like organically, man. Just like well shoot he keeps banging on stuff i mean he's using the, the the glass on the stereo speaker like where you put this it was like you know it was one of those old tv sets where you put the stereo in here and then you had the oh, tv yeah. you know straight yeah. up 90s right. and so like the glass was always like a symbol and my parents were like all right we can't have him breaking this shit so we need to go ahead and start getting him we need to go get him a drum set i think what happened was my dad used to go to the music store and grab um sticks whatever he saw in there. And I think I remember it just being, it was some pro marks. Cause I just, you know, you remember the little black line that would go around the stick and you know, that always yeah. like, it's still nostalgic to me when I see it. And so he would get the sticks cut down. Like he would have those guys like cut them in half because my hands were so small. Uh, just <laughs> okay, <laughs> yeah. okay. so I can at least, you know, be able to put, hold the drumstick in my hand, man, and try to go to work. So oh, wow, anyways, I mean, you know, I remember all of that, man. And, you know, from then on, you know, I got a little older, you know, you know, kid from the suburbs, you know, in Virginia, you know, you you start playing sports, of course. And then mm-hmm. around that time, I, I got a uh, a full size drum set that a neighbor gave me. It was an old Rogers kit from like the 60s or something. And I remember it had no bottom heads. It was an interesting kit because of the way it was shaped. It wasn't your typical you know, drum set, the like drums, like it wasn't, it was weird. I can't remember. I can't really describe it. But anyway, it had no bottom heads. Had a vibe though. And, um, you know, once I kind of got over that, my parents finally were like, okay, let's go ahead and buy him a real nice drum set. So they caught uh, a Mapex Saturn Pro that came out around like 96. And, you know, it was straight up power toms, you know, that was the time. So I had these like super big ass toms. Oh, man. I <laughs> hate it though. Oh, me too. You couldn't position them. I mean, <laughs> yeah. it, you know, but it was a start. Um, so from then on, man, it just snowballed and continued to manifest. Boom. You know, wow. you, you, you fall in love with it, man. And, you know, you start, you know, realizing what the potential that you have here, and what you could possibly do, you know, if you decide mm-hmm. to take this as and do it as a career. I, I do want to get right into speaking of your band and you being on tour butcher brown which is like for for me uh is a dope it's a dope motherfucking band dog it's great i love it you know like i appreciate that man you know this cat christopher mcbride of course yeah so he introduced me to your band i don't know it must have been three or four years ago oh shoot okay we were like in his car he was like you ever you you know about butcher brown i was like nah and he started playing (laughs) it and i was like damn oh shit so I've been on it ever yeah. since. I've been a fan, man, and, and it's 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 phenomenal. And I just want you to tell us, tell me and the people, like, how did you start that band? What that band is all about, and uh, mm-hmm. where you where, what are you trying to do with it, and where you see it going? Okay, yeah, man. Well, first off, I really appreciate that, man. Uh, means a lot. You know, we've been working hard, <laughs> um, but so yeah, just just I guess to start it off, man. We um, this band was created about five years ago. I'd say, and you know, at first it was like a studio band. Um, me and my um, good friend um, that I've known for over about 12 years now, uh, his name is, real name is Devon Harris, uh, but 
his like moniker, his like stage name is DJ Harrison. And um, he's like a great multi-instrumentalist producer. And he's by far one of my, the, the most talented cats that I've known, like just incredible. Um, you know, he's very humble. He won't tell you that. But um, him and I, man, you know, I, I met him, man, back in like 08 or something. But I was here. Actually, no, I probably met him before that. Because you know what? We were in a program in high school, like a weekend thing in VCU. And he was a drummer. And it was like called VCU Jazz Day. So I met that cat there. You know, we, were, we just started talking. He played. I was like, oh, he's dope. A few years later, you know, we're doing this jazz gig with Jason Arcee um, <laughs> in um, yeah. Norfolk. And he came down and played keys. He had his roads with him. Okay. And at this time, I was already a fan of him because he had all these cool beats on MySpace. So, okay. You know, I'm like, all right, man, good to finally play with you. I'm like, you're dope. And I go off to school. And he would always, and anytime I would see him, when I would go home, Devon would give me these CDs of, like, current shit that he's working on. And I would go back up to New York and just show my friends, and they would just be blown away. Like, yo, this is so bad, blah, blah, blah. And so, um, you know, I always knew that him and I, at least I'd hope, that we'd have the opportunity to work together in some way. And, um, you know, so once, you know, I didn't finish school. So once I, like, went back home to Virginia around, like, 2011, mm -hmm. um, you know, I was trying, sort of doing some soul searching, man. You know, I was only 20, 21. So I was still really young. But, uh, and I, I had the opportunity to play some gigs with notable jazz artists or whatever. But um, I would go up to Richmond a lot, man. I was living at home with my parents. And I would just drive up, like, a two-hour drive up to Richmond and, like, just go hang around these cats and be like, yo, let's play. Like he had a studio set up at this, at the house. Okay. And dude, like just would go up there and record stuff just to see what happened. And yeah. low key, that was sort of like where it started. And, you know, now it's evolved into a thing. And, you know, we got, it got more serious. Um, once we started really putting stuff on wax, like I said before, it was like a production thing where we used to just, create these songs and send it off to people and like producers and be like, yo, chop it up, whatever. Oh, and, um, okay. after that though, like we realized like, you know what? I think we could do more with this and like potentially play some shows. Um, like let's see what, just, and just to see what happens. And so, you know, time just started going by. I mean, 20, a couple years ago, like three, four years ago, we recorded the first album. Um, we put out called all purpose music and, uh, yeah, I mean, it seemed to do pretty well. We put it out through a label called Ropadope um, up in Philly. And yeah, I mean, like I said, it's just it's just one of those things that slowly but surely just started going up and up, man. Um, it's been a slow uh, climb, which I like, though. Like, I didn't want it to blossom too quick. Mm -hmm. You know, you know, it's, it's constantly um, evolving, and, like, the music is always getting better just because I feel like, you know, we're searching for something new every time, you know, we play together. And so, uh, yeah, man, I mean, it's fortunate. I'm fortunate because all these cats are all from home, from Virginia. Um, and they, I didn't go to VCU, but um, I feel like I'm sort of like an adopted kid at that program now. Um, but all four of those guys have gone through Virginia Commonwealth University, and um, in which, you know, is where I met them as well, from just being in Richmond. Right. And so, yeah, it's it's been a really cool ride with these cats, man, and I couldn't ask for um a better group of musicians to work with and also call my friends. There it is, man. And listen, y'all, you got to go check it out. Butcher Brown is like some of the funkiest. If you like James Brown, if you like Parliament Funkadelic, if you like anything funky, then you're going to like this, you know? So basically, if you breathe in, you're going to like it. 
That's that's how I feel about it. But I, I, I do like the name of that record, and I feel like it's kind of y'all's slogan, like all-purpose music. You know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. like what what does that mean to you? You know, well, I think at the time when we put that out, actually, it was while we were recording it. And it's funny, we recorded that record in January of, late January of 2014. And I remember we were like snow, snowed in because it was a, a huge blizzard that hit in Richmond. And like, so literally we were just like, yo, I mean, we can't really leave the crib right now. So we're going to record all of this, you know, for the next three days. Um, and, you know, and during that time, I just felt like the music was something that you could play in any situation, you know, you know, whether you're home or in the car or like washing dishes or cleaning up the crib, whatever you're doing, it could be background music at a festival when bands are changing or when a new band is coming on stage, you know, when they're doing like all that kind of stuff. Um, I don't know. All purpose music just, it's sort of uh yeah, you can put it on at any time. And um, I think it was just a reflection of the sound. And I still think to this day, you know, that slogan sort of works. I mean, I want to get into um, mentorship because you've played, I'm assuming the three people or, or these three people I'm going to name were also mentors for you who you have uh, the op- who you've had the opportunity to play with, that being Nicholas mm-hmm. Payton, Jackie Terrison, and also Christian Scott. Yeah. Like, if they were your mentors, like, how, what did you learn from them and how did you uh, take that knowledge and put it into action? Um, well, I'll say, I mean, Jackie, I think Jackie was the first um, pers- first artist I ever was able to travel toward with uh, tour Europe with. Um, and, I, you know, that was one of those things where I'll never forget. You know, you never forget that first time when you do, like, a European tour. Like, it was just that magical moment where you're like, oh, my God, I can't believe this is finally happening. Um, you know, Jackie, I learned a lot from him just because it was so organic, man. Like every night he would play songs different. It's a trio, so it's super free. Um, you know, I haven't worked with Jackie as much on a consistent basis in about the past four or five years, just because, you know, I've been busy with other stuff. But um, you know, I love Jackie, man, and you know, he was always been very cool to me. Um, great cat, man. You know, he's a funny dude. Um, but I will say, like, in terms of, you know, um, cats that I've seen and still currently talk to, like Christian and Nicholas, mm. those two guys for sure have, um, you know, played a huge part in my um, my career, you know, and just the growth. Um, Nicholas, you know, he came into my life when I was 19, you know, at the Brubeck Institute. And then I remember he called me right after that, man. It was just like, yo, I got some dates, man. You want to you wanna hit? I'm like, yeah, fuck yeah, let's do it. <laughs> And so, you know, to get that experience was dope. Um, Nick, man, you know, he's also another cat that you just have to put turn your ears on. You just don't know what he's going to play. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, he's old school, man. Um, you play all types of music in that band. Um, you know, he was also kind of like a big brother, uncle type of vibe with him. Um, you know, he's from New Orleans. And, you know, I, I, it's weird. I have a weird thing with New Orleans, I guess, because he's like and trumpet players. Like, it's Nicholas and then now Christian. Right, you know, Christian. I can say I probably am the closest with. Okay. Um, just in terms of just as a friend, as a brother, like he's mm-hmm. like if I had an older brother, it would be him. Okay. You know, because um, you know, I spent the most time with him on tour, man. You know, on a regular basis, like he works a lot, so we kick it, man. You know, I'll call him just to say what's up. You know, we talk shit <laughs> to each other. Right, right. You right. know, it's a hangman. But um, Christian, man, I've learned a lot. I think about the business side of things with him. Because, um, you know, he's 
he's like 30, I think he just turned 35 um, last okay. week. But, um, you know, he's that generation where it's sort of like the whole, he's like the first of our generation where it seemed to, the record industry sort of was on a decline. You know, he saw like the tail end of it. Mm-hmm. Um, so he was kind of like one of the first cats of our era that had to do everything DIY. You know what I mean? Like yeah. basically putting up your own stuff, man, putting up your own money to make this work. Right. Um, you know, funding your tours, you know, no tours, barely any tour support, you know? So I learned a lot with him because he saw both sides of it, you know, being that his uncle is a well-known saxophone player, Donald Harrison. Um, he saw that and was able to go on the road with him, but also, you know, Christian being, you know, that he came out in like 06 and, but he like decided to go in op- the total opposite direction of what they wanted. They wanted him to be a traditional trumpet player, play like, you know, straight ahead. And he was like, nah, I'm going to come out with this like futuristic or fusion stuff or whatever, progressive rock jazz thing. And we're going to see what happens, which he did it kind of shook the world up. You know, he got nominated and, you know, that was all I had to see. And, you know, he also was just incredible with his branding, like for, for jazz artists. I mean, you, you, I feel like that's one thing that we lack, especially just creatives. Like we forget about the branding of things. Like we're so concerned with how the playing and like working on our scales and just having the technicalities, having a technical facility on our instrument that we forget like, oh yeah, I have to also get my brand up. How do I build my worth in this market? that has been on a decline. Like, how do I mm-hmm. like keep pushing it forward though? Yep. And so, you know, I was able to see this, you know, a young cat that looks like me, looks like us doing it, you know, on a high level. And, you know, he's a real dude, man. You know, he'll tell you anything you need to know. Like I would ask him questions and he always tried his best to give me the realest answer. You know, he was mm-hmm. always, you know, making the analogy about like, you know, Michael Jordan, you know, first five years of his career, seven years or whatever, he didn't win, you know? And it was because it was because he learned how to win during that time. Mm-hmm. And now, and then, you know, for Christian, you know, for years he was losing out here, you know, trying to figure out how to win, you know, in this long, drawn-out game. Right. And now, you know, he's starting to see the returns and all his hard work that he's put in over the past 10 years. And so, you know, to me, you know, it's really inspiring to see a guy like that who's worked really hard on his image and his brand, his, his, his sound, you know, and you can see, you know, other cats are starting to emulate that, you know, and, I, you know, it's sort of, it's really cool. It's like, you know, he's, he's always been forward thinking. And um, to me, I mean, I feel like that's a big, he's probably been the biggest mentor, big brother to me out of all the artists that I've played with. I want to get into some political stuff since okay. you live so close to D.C. But you live in D.C. now, right? I live in Mar- um, Baltimore, so like oh, not oh, far. Oh, you're in Baltimore. Okay. Yeah, 40, that's, 40 minutes away. Yeah, that's still close. Very close. And Virginia's right there, too. So, I yeah, mean, exactly. I'm all, I'm all in it. So, man, with, with all of the stuff that's happening to, to us as black men from the hands mm. of the authorities. Yep. Uh, like how do you how does that affect your music and how does it affect your your day to day existence? Oh, that's a great question. I don't think it's changed my approach in how I play. You know, I think regardless, you know, being black, being a black man, you know, we've been dealing with this shit for years, far before Trump and far before like everybody started calling out this gun violence and police brutality shit. 
you know, mm-hmm. over the past five years. And he's starting with Trayvon, uh, Mike Brown, of course. And, you know, the list goes on. And, you know, even the young brother that got shot last couple weeks ago in, in um, Sacramento. And so, I mean, you know, it's always been a thing for us. You know, we're going to work, us as black men, we're going to have a little bit of that edge when we play the drums, especially the drums. Um, you know, when you go back and listen to cats like Elvin Jones, think about the stuff that he was dealing with. I mean, he was born in Pontiac, but, you know, I think his roots were in Mississippi because I think his brother was born there. Mm-hmm. And, you know, when you hear a cat like that play, you hear the struggle in his drumming. You hear everything, you know, mm-hmm. all the bullshit that he dealt with coming up. I mean, this man was born in, what, 1927 or something? So, like, <laughs> he dealt right. with a lot of shit. So, but to bring it on back to me, I think, man, you know, it's it's just kind of like, all right, well, something has to change at a certain point. But I've had my personal experience, especially when I had dreads. Um, you know, I cut my hair back in September. I remember, you know, one time, I think it was like 3 in the morning, I was heading home from uh, the studio in Richmond. We call it Jellystone. It's a house where we record all of our records okay. with Butcher Brown. And um, okay. also, it's basically the DJ Harrison's, like, sec- music sanctuary, you oh, know, nice. so... Okay. It's dope. Um, so I remember, we, you know, we were just hanging there, man, just finished up recording something, you know, just kicking it. So I'm heading back to my spot, and for some reason, it's like 3 a.m., and I'm like, okay, I'm just going to drive, drive home, whatever. Smoked a little weed, kept it moving. <laughs> and I get pulled over. I see these lights, and, you know, I don't know about how it is for you or anyone else, but anytime you see those sirens come on, your heart just kind of stops for a second, right? Oh, 100%. Like, it's just like that moment where you're just like, what the fuck? And then this is like right after Mike Brown, that whole Mike Brown situation. Mm. Um, so, I mean, you already know we were on 10 at this oh. point. Oh, yeah. So, you know, I'm, I'm like, all right, whatever. Let me just chill out. And so Cat comes up to the car and I'm just like, hey, what's going on? And, you know, he's like, hey, your uh, taillight was out. Or like, not even the taillight. It was the fucking license plate light. <laughs> it was so petty. And I'm just sitting there like, okay, I didn't know that. And, you know, it went from just like he saw my license, registration, um, and everything was cool. And, yeah, I, I mean, I'm sure on my, in my you could, he could probably feel the nervousness. He could see how nervous I was. Just, you know, I tried to keep it cool and calm, but it's tough. You know, it's a fucking cop, and he has a gun and all this other shit that's been going down. And in Virginia, let's keep it a stack. We already know. Right. I'm sitting there, bro, like, all right, whatever. He comes back, and he hands me my stuff back, and he's just like, hey, you know, he asked me some weird question, like, do you have anything in this car? And I was like, oh, just my drums or whatever. And he sees me. He, like, asked me to get out the car, and he sees my dreadlocks. And he's like, oh, automatically, it just switched from, like, okay, cool, have a good night, to, like, actually, can I see, uh, can I do a search in your vehicle? And I was like, for real? <laughs> Like, do you, will you let, can I, am I allowed to do a search? And I was like, if I say no, I don't want this shit to escalate. So I was like, fine, whatever. Mm-hmm. Meanwhile, I'm driving my dad's car, which has firefighter license plates on the back. Right. But that shit ain't matter, right? Mm-hmm. So, uh, you know, I let him do his thing. And another car, another cop pulls up for whatever reason, because I'm like a six foot black dude. So, like, I mean, I kept chill, and I just kept looking because he was like, can you stand? But they kept saying, like, you need to stick, can you stand over there? And I'm like, what the fuck? For real? All right. So they obviously didn't find anything because I had nothing to hide. I'm just like, you know, it's just drum cases and whatnot. Mm-hmm. And the only thing was funny because I was like, I didn't really give a fuck. I was like, look, man, you know, y'all like 
went through my stuff, all I ask is for you to put everything back to where it was. Right. Like, you know, out of respect for me, mm-hmm. which they did. They were cool. You know, I handled it. Tried to be, you know, be mature about it and, cool and calm. So after that, you know, he was just like, yeah, you know, I just wanted to check because um, you seemed nervous. So I felt like you had something to hide. And I was just sort of like, I wanted to lose it on him so bad. In my mind, I'm just like, really, motherfucker? For real? I'm ner- of course, I'm not supposed to be nervous? First of all, you see my complexion. And also, have you, you clearly have been watching the news, right? Right. After, after, like, all this shit that went down with Mike Brown and Trayvon, mm-hmm. I'm not supposed to be nervous because you got a gun, but I'm a threat. Okay, this makes no sense right now. This makes zero sense. So, you know, that was my experience. And that kind of fucked me up for a little bit. I mean, it was a thing where I didn't even tell my mom about it. Like, she found out, like, two years later. Because it was just, like, it was sort of traumatizing for a second. So you're just sitting there like, man, what the fuck? All right. Um, But, you know, lifetime goes on, man. You just, you you never forget that moment. Um, But, you know, I can say that was one of the few times I've had to deal with my own experiences with cops. Um, But, yeah, I mean, it's real out here. You know, and that's an example. Like it was straight up profiling, like a mug. You know, like it wasn't. Uh, it wasn't a situation. Like I know I wasn't doing anything, but he sees me. He sees that I have dreadlocks, but me. But somehow I'm a threat. You know. Mm-hmm. Meanwhile, like we're not the ones shooting up schools or shooting up malls mm-hmm. or any of this kind of stuff. But that's a whole nother topic. But for some reason, we're still a threat. And obviously, when you know, number forty five got in office, things seemed to have escalated, you know. And you know, at that time Obama was still in there, but it didn't matter. Tension, right. tension, tension. And so, you know, I just hope one day that we can hit a place where it doesn't matter what we look like and, you know, everybody can just coexist. See you you bring me right into my next my next little segment here. And I, and I do want to talk about social media and, and how you think social media has changed the game for creatives. It's, that's, it's so interesting, man, because, like, I love it, but I hate it at this. I like I don't love it. I, I like it and I hate it at the same time. I'll say that. Like, it's beneficial for us. Um, I, I don't like the idea that I feel like you have to, to be valid, you have to have a certain amount of followers. You know what I'm saying? I feel like that's the stupidest thing I've ever heard. It's ridiculous. Like, I can't believe that we're at this point now. Like, you could be, there's like a thing now where I hear it's like, you're internet famous, of course, or like, oh, it's this internet, uh, this musician off the internet, you know, he's dope, let's check him out. And it's the same thing with like, you know, comedians like on online that are having like these one minute Instagram clips. Some mm. of them are really funny and some of them aren't. Right. And I'm just like, all right, man, like you basically have the opportunity now to take 60 seconds of the best shit that you can play and put that online. But <laughs> at the end of the day, how do you still deliver that live? Mm-hmm. It's like, can you play a whole hour set? Be dope. Is there going to be a lot of question marks being played during yeah. that set? There you go. But it's like that's the way I see it. I, I feel like it's just important for us to just stay balanced and not get too wrapped up in that nonsense because, um, you know, it's always changing. I mean, Instagram could go away tomorrow, and what's mm-hmm. going to happen? It's just like you know when you see these models on instagram right you know right, like right. yeah i mean to me i'm like how the fuck are y'all making all this money and y'all don't have to, y'all not even working for this it's like yeah. what is this man and it's like meanwhile you and i just a bunch of other hard-working cats have put in ten thousand hours if not more mm-hmm. but we're not seeing that mm-hmm. which is okay and it's, it's like i get it fine whatever 
But it's like, yo, I think we just have to keep in mind, like, look, all this stuff can go away tomorrow. Oh, yeah. You know, like, it could be, it's, it's a fad right now, but it can, it can be, like, super corny tomorrow. It's like, look at MySpace. Yep. And, Vine, you know, Vine is another one, you know, we went through Vine that cycle of Vine, you know. And it's just like, I feel like it's important, man, just like, look, still focus on your craft. But keep in mind, like, you know, branding yourself is important. And just, you know, it's a way to stay relevant. Like, I think we have to use social media to our advantage now. But let's not get too ca- overly ca- um, caught up in how many followers we can get. Um, you know, I'm working on getting the Butcher Brown followers up. You know, I have a pretty good following on Instagram. And I, I pretty much say all that is due to Christian. <laughs> you know mm-hmm. what I'm saying? Like, I'm not going to sit here in front like, oh, man, yeah. They just like me because I play some dope drums. Like, nah, man, it's because I've been on the road with this cat Christian and people know him and he has the juice. So it's right. like they find out about the other artists. Like, I'm just real, man, with it. Like, some people, eat, they get so caught up in that. Like, I'm like, man, whatever. I'm grateful. I'm glad y'all like me. Thank right. you. Right. But um, anyways, um, social media is weird, too, because there's people that think they know you just because they're friends with you online or they follow you or something. So it's like, there's this, there's this thing where like they see you in person, they start talking to you as if like we're homies. And I'm like, bro, I don't even know you. Like you're not my homie. (laughs) Like, I get it, but it's just like, we're not friends on that level. Like this, but, and then, you know, you also do have cats where it's like, okay, you got mutual friends. Like me and you have a lot of mutual friends. Like you're friends with Corey, Christopher. I mean, that whole grit, the whole squad that I know. Right. So it's like, automatically, I'm going to have a different connection with you. And also, you know my friend, Abinette. Oh, of course. Um, yeah, and Abinette man. was the first cat that told me about you, like, years ago. Okay. So it's just like, you know, Abinette's, like, always been sort of like a... I mean, he's not really a little brother. We're, like, a year apart. But, you know, we have, like, this thing. You know, he's he would always used to ask me a lot of questions just about drums and music. And, you know, I've helped him out with just a lot of little stuff. But, man, you know, he's a great cat. And he told me about you. So... In that sense, it's like I see you differently than maybe I see a cat that I really don't know at all. That's right. like, yo, man, you the homie, bro. Like, oh, my homie. And I'm just like, wait a minute. We don't know each other at all. <laughs> There's no connection here. Right. And so that's where it just gets odd. Or Also, it's like a person follows you online, but then you see them in person and they pretend they don't know you. <laughs> that right. is the corniest and wackiest right. shit I've ever seen. So and that's where it just it's a turnoff. And I'm just like, trying to find that balance of like okay like i feel like i try to be my honest self online just like i am in person you know i'm not a one that fronts and takes a bunch of photos of myself that's just not me like to go like i mean some people like they genuinely take a lot of pictures of themselves that's cool or get photos taken like that's their vibe not me like i'm a sweatpants and sneakers and t-shirt type wearing cat right right <laughs> that's what i do you know hell i wear that on a damn gig too <laughs> like <laughs> i'd be chilling and so, I mean, you know, it just depends on the situation. And, you know, I've been granted that with Christian and with Butcher. We just do our thing. You know, it basically is sort of reflection reflection of the way the music is, too. Mm-hmm. Um, but mm-hmm. social media, man, is, uh, I think, you know, there's goods to it and bads. And it's all on how you use it, man. And as long as you're mindful of the fact that this could go away at any day, at any day, like, you'll be Gucci. But if we're sitting here like putting every all putting everything into like the followers and but forgetting about the music, then you know there's something wrong. Um, yeah, yeah, 
Yeah. You know, Instagram is, you know, it's, it's it can be toxic sometimes because because, you know, you're you're watching everybody else put on this front like they're doing so much better than they are mm-hmm. a lot of the time. And I remember I think Jim Carrey put something up online and was said like, I mean, damn, I can only his quote. I don't know it word for word, but it was something along the lines of no wonder everyone's depressed. We're sitting here watching everyone else pretend that they're so successful or like you know we're too busy like having eyes on others and like that right. was the whole thing like used to hear the term keeping up with the jones or whatever mm-hmm. that's essentially what we're doing now and it's even worse because it's like you have access to everybody you can see what everyone's doing somebody can say oh man i'm out here doing this or that um like i'm gonna keep it real with you and i tell everybody this um butcher brown like we're doing these tours this is purely an investment, bro. Like, we're not making anything off of these tours. We're doing this as an investment, to, you know, and we're putting all this energy into it in hopes of getting something back in return, which I know we will. But it's just like trusting the process and constantly just keep grinding it out. And, you know, people see online like, oh, man, you're playing these theaters and doing this and that. And it's just like, yo, they think like, oh, man, they're making it. They're doing it. Like, yeah, okay, on a certain level, yeah. And on one end, we are doing great and i would never take anything i would never change it but uh just to be honest it's like actually y'all think we're out here getting money like we're not we're putting in the time right now so like in five to next five years we'll start seeing some like returns and like you got to just keep the content flowing um keep putting music out keep playing these shows regardless like i mean We'll take a gig that pays only $250 for the fucking band, hmm. especially if it's going to put us in a situation where something could happen. And it's these shows have done a lot, you know. Um, some of those, when it's been that low, we'll just be like, all right, fine. I think now we're getting to a place where, okay, we've done that one year of playing some of those low ball shows, opening up. Now we're going to raise the price or just say no. Right. But I think it's important for people to realize, like, just because you see something online, it's some, it, it could be an illusion. It's not always the case where, okay, you see this band and they take this picture of, like, this dope-ass stage and they, you see this crazy crowd. And most of the time people assume, oh, man, they're all here just getting paid right now. They making, like, racks of money. And it's just like, no, we're not right now. Make the, the, the headlining band is. Mm-hmm. But let's just keep it in mind. So that's where it's like... You can't front on people, man. I think it's important. Oh, right. And sure. because, you know, you're selling this false idea, especially to the younger generation that's coming up that's a little younger than you and I, right. that may think like, oh, man, I'm going to be making all this cheddar as soon as I put my band again. Just like, no, no. This is where bands break up because they didn't have their shit together. They didn't have somebody to tell them, like, start an LLC, create, a, get a business account, um, you know, open up a business account with a bank. Just take all these steps. Put 20% of whatever you're going to make in that band. Put 20% away as if you're paying a sixth person. Put that away to the bank. So when you have to go rent a van or rent a Sprinter bus or get tickets, plane tickets, you'll have money, you know, stashed aside. You know, music is a process. You know, and I've, I've been in bands with, you know, more prominent leaders than I've been in bands with people who are starting but if you can just mm-hmm. get through those first, you know, two to five years on the other side is is where the gold, the, the pot of gold is, you know, it's, it's, it's right. uh, it just takes time and it's a process. 
I mean, it's like even the stuff I see that you do with the session. Like, you know, like it's important to have, you know, your own project that you enjoy, man. And like you're playing with your friends. I'm sure you right. have a ball playing with those kids. Oh, man, yeah. And we've been together for over five years, man, you know. Mm-hmm. I feel like musicians are very afraid to have these conversations, you know, a lot of the time. Like they don't tell you. I mean, it's like you have to talk about this, man. And, you know, I, I try to, you know, I learned this because of Christian, to be honest. I mean, he told me a lot of these things. I felt comfortable enough to ask him. But also, I just spent so much time with the guy that, like, you know, he would just start talking about things, and I would listen because, you know, I was able to see it firsthand. You know, and by the time I joined, you know, he started seeing returns on all his hard work. But so, you know, by the time, you know, I came around and decided, you know, we started doing this Butcher Brown thing, I got it. And... Also, with the help of uh, a great drummer, um, we all know now, uh, the legendary Nate Smith, oh, <laughs> as yeah. they call him. Oh yeah. You know, Nate Nate Smith is another is a cat from Virginia, and you know he took he he took a liking to us, man. You know, I've known Nate for a while, and that's family. And I remember one day, I think this is when we really started getting serious. We put we recorded the record that was already in a can. This is like spring of around this time, 2014. He was like, I want to have a Skype phone call with y'all. And he's like, I really want to discuss business, like how y'all can set up the LLC and like putting money to the side, this and that. And, you know, I can, I really want to, I credit him for helping us, you know, get all of that stuff together. Mm-hmm. Because, you know, a lot of the time, cats don't really tell you this information. Right, of course. You know, him being a businessman himself, you know, it made sense that he would share that. Yeah, and that's huge. Get your pencils out. That's huge, man. <laughs> and this this next thing I like to do, I like to call it I call it the word game. And what okay. happens is I say a word and you tell me the first story that comes to your mind. Okay. Focus. Focus. Oh man. Well <laughs> focus, man. I mean, essentially just you being put in a situation, you know, because uh, I mean I think about gigs, you know. A lot of the time we're around alcohol and a lot of other things, you know, maybe alcohol, maybe trees. And like trying to remember, like, I got to go to work right now. Like, yeah, there's liquor, and beer, but like, I need to play. I need to be on top of my shit, regardless of the situation. Like everybody else is having a good time. But at the end of the day, people are, I'm watching, people are watching me and I want to deliver. And so, I mean, I try to always be cognizant of that, man. Um, Staying focused. In all situations, man, um, you know, even when there's important people in the room that are coming to these shows and, you know, focus, you know, just never letting up on that side of things, man. And don't let these distractions get in the way. Failure. Um, For me, man, failure would just be like me giving up on something, man. And just be- only because I wasn't able, I didn't see the returns on whatever I was trying to gain. Like, perhaps just, oh, man, like, <clears throat> investing into some project, but, like, it's not happening fast enough. <laughs> so I'm just, like, throwing my hands up, like, all right, I quit. To me, I feel like I'm giving up, and that's failure. Triumph. You're a Kobe Bryant fan, right? Oh, you already yeah. know, Doc. <laughs> so, so we can have that conversation. So that's the, that's the thing, is that black mama shit. Like, mm-hmm. I, I feel like I want to have that mentality, man, where it's just, like, you're just keeping your eye on that prize, and it's just like you're not letting up. To me, that's triumph, you know. So like, you just, you know, you know it's there. Like, 
victory. I like. I don't want. But the thing is, I don't want victory. I want that shit to continue, just keep going up and up. You know what I'm saying? Like, I don't want to win champion, just one championship. I want all of them forever. Right, right. And like, just keep on, keep on. Like, n- never let up off the gas, bro. And um, for me, that's everything. Um, but I feel like. That just means, yeah, like, you succeeded, man. Like, you already have uh, every goal, like, going to Europe was that for me yeah, with, yeah. with with Butcher Brown. Like, going over there with my friends. Like, everything that I've been seeing my heroes do, I finally got that opportunity with my squad of friends mm-hmm. to go over there and play this music with people that I love and, you know, I care about that are all from the same neighborhood as me. And we can go over here and spread this these dope vibrations oh, yeah. for these people. So yeah, I think that's it. So like how important is it for you to look backwards at your ancestors to to guide you to the next thing? Um, well, it's I think it's I mean, it's the most important because I feel like we have so much more at our disposal than they did. And it's just like you have to always remember like man, they were at a, they were really at a disadvantage. Um, you know, no one was trying to help them. You know, there weren't as many black-owned businesses. There weren't as many successful people of color out here doing it that had money. So it's like they really, really had to struggle and grind it out. Like I mean, I think about my grandmother. Um, I mean, she went to Hampton. It was Hampton. It wasn't Hampton University at the time. It was Hampton Institute. But she's near eighty years old. And she's probably one of the first classes to graduate. And she's an African-American woman. She graduated college in 1957. You know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. So it's like, I try to remember that, you know, and my mom is educated. My dad is educated. Um, He's a fireman now, but he went to school for accounting. Um, My mom is a, she's an assistant principal. You know, she's, you know, it's just like, so I'm just like, man, shoot. Like they were, my parents were born in 65. Mm -hmm. So they're a little younger, obviously, but they went through some shit, of course, I'm sure. In the South, it's Virginia. And then um, for my grandma, I'm like, hell yeah. She definitely dealt with it. My grandfather, same thing, you know? And even going further back, it's just like, you know, I recently did my ancestry on, uh, just to see, you know, where my, you know, where the folks came from. I was just really curious. Mm -hmm. And just, you know, you're going back and just seeing all this stuff, like my great-grandfather built the house that my mom lived in growing up. You know, stuff like that. It's like straight up, just ground up, <laughs> literally. Mm-hmm. So I think for us as young black men, man, just cast of color, like we got to remember that and just keep grinding and keep that tradition going. Like let's not let off the steam, like I said earlier, just because, you know, it's 2018, we got iPhones, everything's a little easier. Right. But it's like at the same time, let's keep pushing, man. Like we got to, we have to go out here and get it, you know, and stay inspired by one another. Um, you know, regardless, like, why, why hate on someone? Let's, let's lift each other up. Um, oh, you know, keep pushing, keep pushing the envelope, man, encouraging each other. Like, watch what, I mean, you know, paying attention what another cat is doing. I mean, and I'm not just, like, obviously, I love everybody, you know, all walks of life, all races, religions. Um, but, you know, since well, we're talking about us right now, right? So I think it's important for us to remember that because you know we we're coming from the same place. Yep, exactly. You know we have to we have to team up and um just support. Yeah, love that. Just like they were doing. 
They were doing that 100 years ago. Oh, yeah. Essentially, yeah. you know, mm-hmm. keeping it. They were together, singing hymns and everything else. Yep. <laughs> Trying to get to that shallow water, you know. <laughs> <laughs> That's dope, man. So this is it, man. I like to end every interview asking this question. And the question is, what are the three things that you are most thankful for? Um, well, thankful for my family, um, which I basically, my girlfriend, she's a part of that now. I, you know, I like to say, um, so she's included in that. So I don't, it doesn't have to be my girl, my girlfriend, my family. So my family, all of that. Um, I'm thankful for, you know, having a gift that I can share with people called, you know, known as music, you know, I'm able, I'm able to do what I love, man. Um, so that's two. So family, music, um, and the third one, that's going to be tough. <laughs> I'm thankful, I guess, just to be able to, like, have friends, man. Uh, people that care about me. And I guess that also goes in the same uh, grouping as family. But um, friends are friends are important. People that call and check on you that aren't your family. That just are like, yo, what's up, man? You good? Like, you know, <laughs> I still have that. You know, yeah. most people, you know, especially in today's age where it's like, you have social media friends or like cats will just hit you up online. Like they'll comment on stuff, but you know, they're not calling you or texting you to say, yo, what's up? Good. Right. Right. You know, you can't beat that. Before we go, man, I do. I want to give you an opportunity to uh, plug anything you got coming up shows, events, records, anything. Mm -hmm. Oh man. Well, we have, um, I know butcher Brown, we have a record supposed to be coming out in the fall. Um, we don't have any shows. There's some potential stuff probably coming in the summer in New York City. Um, nothing I have a date on, but I'd, I'd like to tell everybody just to go to butcherbrown.com to keep up with everything we have coming up. Um, and we have, you know, merch on the site. Um, all of our dates will be listed, et cetera, et cetera. Um, keep up with um, Christian Scott, of course. You know, he's got dates. Um, some that I miss, some that I'll be on, but... Uh, because I'm out with Butcher, so I miss a lot of the stuff at this point, but my brother lets me do my thing, and he's supportive. So, like, you know, I'd say go check his stuff out. And, uh, yeah, man, keep just just ButcherBrown.com. You can follow me on Facebook or uh, Instagram and Twitter. That is, so that's B-U-T-C-H-E-R Brown.com, right? Yeah. Cool. Yes, sir. So y'all and did, all the social media handles are there, too. Okay, cool. So he's like Butcher Brown on everything. Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and uh, what's your social security number? <laughs> <laughs> but y'all, man, listen, man. Thanks for coming to the Working Artist Project, bro. Hey, man, thank you, man. And y'all go check out the session as well, man. Oh, yeah. <laughs> check it out. If you like what you heard, you know what to do. Hit that subscribe button. The Working Artist Project is brought to you by Second Line Arts Collective. Find out more at secondlinearts.org. I'm Darian Douglas. And this is the Working Artist Project.